can the book of Revelation really be understood amidst all the prophetic language and mysterious symbols? How is it relevant to the 21st century? What is the controversy between good and evil all about? How and when will it end? These and many other questions will be answered, providing amazing clarity to the conditions we see in our world today. This seminar will bring you face to face with Jesus in a new and wonderful way, leading you to the most momentous decisions of your life. Welcome to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Revelation. Here is your host, Pastor David Price. Thank you so much for joining us for session 17. What are we going to learn in this exciting presentation? So we're looking at the way that God has communicated his thoughts and messages to the prophets of old over the last ancient times. Let's go to question one. In what three main ways does God speak with his prophets? Secondly, what two types of prophets are mentioned in scripture? Thirdly, we're going to name the main Old Testament test of a prophet and give you the text. Number four, what is the actual main purpose of the gift of prophecy? And number five, what is another name for the gift of prophecy in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17? Of course, the Bible is made up of major and minor prophets. I think we know the major prophets would be Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And of course, the minor prophets are 12, and they are the ones that complete the last part of the Old Testament. Before we start this amazing Bible study, I think it's important that we spend time in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing gift of prophecy that is so important, especially in these last days. May the Holy Spirit guide and lead us powerfully. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So it's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to Revelation Prophecy Seminar, session number 17. We're looking at modern prophets and visions. If you're watching online, you can download the study guide that we're using directly under the description bar. Prophets are people signally honoured by God. In fact, in Revelation, an angel twice told John that he considered the prophets his brothers. Let's go directly to that text in Revelation 22 and verse 9. Then the angel said unto me, John, see thou do it not, for John was about to worship him. For I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book worship God. So the angel does not receive worship. He redirects worship to God. So friends, a dozen times Revelation mentions either false or true prophets. Old Testament prophets bring to mind dramatic miracle workers of great courage and power. It'd be hard not to think about Daniel, the prophet, who was prime minister of two notable worldwide empires, the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire. Then, of course, we can't forget about Moses, a very outstanding prophet who was leader of the Jewish nation 
the people of God. Isaiah's message was so forceful and convincing and so dangerous that an evil Old Testament king had him sword in half. Then in the New Testament, we have Paul, the great apostle and prophet, who received many visions in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, and Paul could face down an opponent no matter how brilliant. Meanwhile, John the Revelator was so convincing and influential in presenting Jesus that his enemies tried to kill him by placing him in boiling oil. When the oil failed to harm him, he was then banished to the island of Patmos, a prison fortress where he was forced to work in the mines. But there Jesus gave him the precious book of Revelation. So friends, the ancient biblical writings or the scripture itself came to us from prophets who were guided by the Holy Ghost. In fact, the Christian church is indebted to prophets to a degree almost impossible to calculate. So have you ever wondered why in these challenging and crucial last days for God's people, just before the second coming of Jesus, why we no longer have any prophets? We want to ask the question, is John the Revelator the last prophet that Jesus has spoken through? And why did God quit speaking through prophets or did he? If you met someone who claimed to be a prophet, how would you actually react? And does God indeed still speak through prophets today? Also, are psychics and astrologers also to be classed as prophets? So friends, this is the most challenging and stimulating subject, isn't it? And as we get into it, we're going to pray for guidance from the Holy Spirit who guided the prophets of old. And that's why we began this session with prayer. Well, please join me at the top of page two. We're looking at how God communicates his will to earth. And let's go straight into question one. Thank you so much for joining us in this Revelation Prophecy Seminar. The book of Revelation is a prime example of how the prophetic gift operated. The first few verses explain the steps which are utilized in bringing a prophetic message from God to man. What are these steps? We go to Revelation 1 and we're looking at the first four verses. This is actually where we started our Revelation Prophecy Seminar in session one. John writes, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Let's go to verse 2. So as John the Revelator says, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So John was faithful in recording the exact message that God gave him. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. So friends, the first few verses of Revelation 1, 1 to 4 explain the steps which are utilized in bringing a prophetic message from God to man. What are these exact steps? Very simply, God gives the message to Jesus, God the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, gives it to his servants. And his servants, the angels, give it to John, one of the prophets, 
and John, one of the prophets, gives it to the Christian church. You know, let's just uh, refresh our minds with this line of transmission that's more reliable than any telephone line. So Jesus Christ shares it with his servants, the angels. The angels serve it with God's servants on earth, that is the prophets like the prophet John the Revelator. And then the prophets are to share it with churches and then the message is to be shared with individuals and with those people who are God's last day people. Question two, to whom will God reveal his plans for the future? We go to Amos 3 and verse 7. This is an amazing text. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Friends, when you think that through, the God of the universe is willing to share his secrets about the future with us through his servants, the prophets. Question three, where do prophets actually get their information from? Very important question. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1 and verse 21. It says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake or spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So there's our answer. Where do true prophets get their information? The holy men of God and also the holy women of God spoke as they were moved, as they were driven, as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite writers uh, gave us this thought. The writers of the Bible were not God's pen, but his pen men. You know, God was amazing. He did not just put a plug in a prophet's ear and got him to dictate uh, exactly what God was writing down. No, God allowed the prophet to actually write the message in his own language and dialect and culture. So the writers of the Bible were not God's pen to be written down verbatim, but his pen men be written in their own language, culture and style. Question four, must a true prophet write a book of the Bible in order to be authoritative and true? Well, the answer to that is obviously no, because there were many uh, Bible prophets who weren't writers of the Bible. So let's look at the two types of prophets. We have, of course, prophets whose writings are in the Bible. That would be obvious. And here we have Moses, who wrote uh, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, etc. Then we have Daniel, and then we have John the Revelator, also powerful biblical prophets. So we have those who had their writings in the Bible, and we have those who don't have their writings in the Bible, like Enoch. In Genesis, it says that God took Enoch from the earth after 365 years. Enoch was a powerful prophet to his generation. So was the prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven and discredited the prophets of Baal who were unable to do so. And Elijah revealed the true God. Surprisingly, Elisha had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah, the Holy Spirit, and he did mighty miracles, including this resurrection that you can see there. And then in the New Testament, we have John the Baptist. Now, none of these men, Enoch, Elijah, Elisha, or John the Baptist, who were all powerful prophets, actually had a book written in the Bible. Let's find out a little bit more about John the Baptist. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, 
among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater, meaning one person, than John the Baptist. So we need to be clear that some prophets did write books which were not included in the Old Testament or the New Testament scriptures. So for those who never wrote a book, there were those prophets who wrote books, but they weren't included. So there's three categories. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 29, 29 to see some of those who wrote books who aren't included in the canon or the scriptures that we have today, the ancient biblical writings, the Bible. Now, the Acts of David the King are written in the book of Samuel, the seer, and in the book of Nathan, the prophet, and in the book of Gad, the seer. So there we have the actual names of two prophets who wrote books, but they weren't included in the scripture. What possibly happened was that their writings were included in the larger books. So we're asking and answering the question, must a true prophet write a book of the Bible in order to be authoritative and true? The answer is no. At least 12 prophets who did not write a book of the Bible are mentioned in the scripture. Among them is John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, there was no one greater in Matthew 11 and verse 11. Question five, does God ever prophesy through women? The answer is yes, he did. Do you remember that the first prophetess in the Old Testament was Miriam? She was the sister of two powerful men, Aaron and the great man Moses, the leader of God's people. Also, there was Holder, an Old Testament prophetess who lived in the time of King Josiah, who gave a powerful um, prophecy. And you can find out more about that in Second Kings 22.14. Then, of course, there was the prophetess Deborah in the time of the judges who told Barak to go to battle against the enemy. But Barak was a weak and cowardly leader. And so he said, I'll only go if you go with me. So Deborah said, right, the Lord will now give the victory for this battle to a woman. And if you remember the story of Jael in Judges chapter 4, then she put a stake through the enemy's head and the enemy were routed. And this was all done through the power of women connecting with God. Then, of course, there's the wonderful prophetess Anna in New Testament times who lived to see the baby Jesus Christ brought into the temple to be blessed at that time. So, friends, we also have in the New Testament, Acts 21, 8 and 9, we have the four daughters of Philip. In Acts 21, 8 and 9, we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. Verse 9, and the same men had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So we're asking the question, did God ever prophesy through women? And the answer is yes, he did many, many times. God's an equal opportunity employer. Several men, several women were mentioned as prophetesses in scripture. There's Anna in Luke 2, 36 to 38. There's Miriam in Exodus 15, 20. There's Deborah in Judges 4, 4. There's also Holder in 2 Kings 22, 14. And of course, the four daughters of Philip in Acts 21, 8 and 9. So we have three Old Testament prophetesses and we have five New Testament prophetesses as well. 
Question six, does God promise to speak through prophets in the last days? We go to Joel 2, 28 to 31. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, God says, upon all flesh. Daughters and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. We're in Joel 2, 29. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out my spirit. He's speaking here about the Holy Spirit being poured out as a gift of prophecy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day that the Lord comes. So we know those are referring to the events that happened in the early 1800s. So this is a reference to prophecy being given in the last days. So does God promise to speak through prophets in the last days? He absolutely does. He's going to speak through sons, daughters, the old men, young men, servants, and handmaids. So God's promise to speak to his last day people through both men and women, and also to all the peoples of the earth. Well, our second subject heading in session 17 on prophets and prophecy is spiritual gifts for today. Let's go to question seven at the top of page three. When God ascended to heaven, he left gifts for the church. What are these gifts? We go to Ephesians 4, 7, 8, and 11. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So friends, God gives spiritual gifts to his church, especially in the last days. In Ephesians 4 and verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, Jesus led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. People have wondered what that actually means. It's best explained by Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53. I'd like to write that text down. When some dead believers were actually, their bodies were thrown out of the graves in the great earthquake when Jesus died. And then those bodies were resurrected at the same time or after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the city to witness. And then those who'd been captive unto death were taken up to heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time also, the Lord Jesus Christ actually gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts to his church to strengthen and empower the church after he left planet Earth. And Jesus gave some in the church to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Those are the spiritual gifts. So the gift of apostleship is the gift to raise up a church. The gift of prophecy has two parts, and I'll explain it in a moment. The gift of evangelism is to preach powerfully the gospel and raise up converts. The gift of pastoring is the gift to minister, the gift to shepherd a flock, and the gift of teaching is to give God's teachings and dogma and doctrine to his people. So just uh, pause a moment and have a look at the screen. We're going to look now at what actually is the gift of prophecy. Many people think the gift of prophecy is just the work of prediction, predicting the future. But friends, that is not correct. Prophets were the expounders and they were the explainers of the will of God. 
that have been known that have been made known to them by supernatural means. The idea of foretelling is not essential to the meaning of the word, nor is the predictive element found in all prophetic utterances. This gift was essential in the early church, the gift of prophecy, and also vital to the remnant church. See Acts 15.32 and 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3. So prophecy has two important parts. Number one, there's forthtelling, which is another name for preaching and teaching the gospel. There's foretelling, which is the work of prediction. Today, it seems in our society, the second part, the predictive part, seems to have overtaken the most important part, which is the work of preaching the gospel to people on planet earth in fact in the gift list jesus listed prophets as second in importance and some of you might wonder where those spiritual gifts are listed they're listed in ephesians 4 in romans 12 in first corinthians 12 and also in first corinthians 13 now i'm going to ask you a question without notice it's not from the lesson can anyone guess what specific spiritual gift is mentioned in all those four gift lists because some of them actually overlap. All right, I'm hoping you are saying this gift, it is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is the one. We're looking at spiritual gifts today. Please join us in question eight. So why were these gifts actually given? We're in Ephesians 4 and verse 12. They were given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does this mean? Friends, the perfecting of the saints is to get people ready to be translated to heaven. Secondly, the work of ministry means ministry works, good deeds, um, sharing Jesus in the community, and then the edifying of the body of Christ means to build up the body of Christ, which is the church. To enter God's church, we learned in session 16, didn't we, how important it was to be immersed, and that is the only form of Bible baptism. So baptism by immersion is the way that we enter into the Christian church. Question nine, well, how long were these gifts to remain in the church? Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 and verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Well, what does this mean? How long were all these gifts to remain in the church, friends? It's going to take a long time for people to come to a unity of the faith, but that will happen right at the very end of time. This unity of faith is people who will agree that they are going to follow the Bible and the Bible alone, not follow the culture, not follow what everyone else is doing, but stay firmly convinced that they will not move from believing and practicing exactly what the word of God says. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, we know Jesus perfectly. Ourselves, we become perfect people in the sense that we are overcoming and uh, that we are being blessed by God. 
until we grow up unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, meaning that we grow up to become the brothers and sisters of Jesus. We grow spiritually to become mature Christians. That's what it means. Well, friends, these spiritual gifts, including prophets, actually remain in the church until all become completely like Jesus Christ, which means that they remain. How long? That's right. They have to remain until the end of the world and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, we're up to heading three of six headings in our session on prophets and prophecy. Let's go to the top of page four and question number 10. So when we find and enter a church with all these gifts, what will it actually do for us? Ephesians 4 and verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, meaning tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, running here, running there, running from church to church, trying to find out what is the truth and possibly being deceived by the slight of men and by cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. When you find and enter the church with all these gifts, what will it actually do for you? Friends, it'll bring a stability to your life. You'll be settled into the truth that we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What does this actually mean? Well, when one enters the church, that is a church that has all the gifts for no person has all spiritual gifts. That person is immediately anchored and no longer flounders around aimlessly. But Satan's objective is to remove at least one of these spiritual gifts from the church. And I believe it could be prophecy, knowing that the result will be to send Christian people into a spin. They'll spin out of their Christian experience and be lost. Question 11, did God's New Testament church have the gift of prophecy? Good question. We go to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 6. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Friends, that's a definite yes, isn't it? So the New Testament church actually had the gift of prophecy, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So, friends, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7 says that they, the church, not individuals, the church had all the gifts. And verse 6 specifically mentions the testimony of Christ, which is the spirit or the gift of prophecy. See Revelation 19 and verse 10. Question 12, does Revelation teach that God's true church for the last days will have the gift of prophecy? It certainly does. Revelation 12, 17, I'm not going to unpack this now because this is really the heart of session 18. And the dragon was wroth or angry with the woman, and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, 10, John says, I fell at the angel's feet to worship him. And the angel said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. John, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
So Revelation certainly does teach that God's true church for the last days will have the gift of prophecy in those two verses, and it's so important that it does. Friends, in our next session, we'll study God's true church, all the way marks and pointers and tests for it, which is pictured in Revelation chapter 12 under the symbolism of a woman. Of course, the dragon is the devil. See Revelation 12, 9. And verse 17 clearly says that God's last day church will keep this, will keep his commandments and have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit or gift of prophecy in Revelation 19, 10 and Revelation 22, 9, as we just read to you on the screen. Our fourth heading is let's investigate more about who and what and what are the tests and ingredients for true prophets of God. Question 13, what three things does Paul command regarding prophets? We go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20 and 21. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in Greece, despise not prophesyings, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. The three things Paul commanded regarding prophets, he said, don't put down the prophets, don't put down their writings, don't disparage them or discourage anyone from reading them. You must actually prove all things or test all things and sort the truth from the error and hold fast to that which is good. By that, Paul means hold fast to that which is true. We're at the top of page five in question 14. Thank you so much for joining us for the Revelation Prophecy Seminar. Question 14 says, how do I test or prove what a prophet says to see if the prophet is true? We go to Isaiah 8, 19 and 20, and this is the main Old Testament test of a prophet. This is so important. Revelation 8, 19 and 20. And when they, the surrounding nations, shall say unto you, the Jewish people, the children of God, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Friends, Isaiah's warning the people of God not to go to the foreign spiritualists and spiritists and mediums to try and get answers to what had happened to their loved ones and friends who were living and had then died. What is the test that we must apply to messages that come to us today? Isaiah was very clear. He said to the law and to the testimony, if they, these messages, these questions that you have, if they speak not according to this word of God, it is because there's what? There's no light in them. That's very telling, isn't it? Very significant. So in terms of the law in the Hebrew, law means Torah in the Hebrew. Not only does it mean the Ten Commandments and the body of law throughout God's word, it means the whole of the revealed word of God. In fact, um, the Old Testament used to be called the Torah. Then it says we must test everything by the law and by the testimony. The testimony in the Hebrew is Tudah. It means God's message of wisdom, God's message of life that comes to us via the prophetic writings, that comes to us via 
the ancient biblical writings. How do I test or prove what a prophet says to see if the prophet is true? Isaiah gave us this foundational principle. If these messages, people, ideas, and we can apply this today, do not speak according to God's word, to the law and to the testimony, it is because there is absolutely no light in them. What does it mean that there's no light in them? Friends, when you pass a beam of light, a beam of white light through a prism, it splits beautifully into seven colors, the colors of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. But friends, outside that light stream, there is no light. Therefore, there's only darkness. God wants his people to stay within the heavenly light stream, the heavenly rainbow, and to understand the things of scripture. Friends, to not do that is to place yourself in the way of harm and to be in outer darkness. Question 15, halfway down page five. So what are the other things that would be true of a prophet of God? Let's have a look at eight tests of a prophet. Starting in part A, a true prophet will prophesy as he is moved by the Holy Spirit and not by man's will. We've already looked up that scripture, and this is in the lesson guide, but I'll share it with you now. We've looked that up in 2 Peter 1 and verse 21. Secondly, the prophet doesn't give out his own interpretation of prophecy. We found that in 2 Peter 1 and verse 20. Thirdly, and quite remarkably today, Prophets always pointed out the sins of God's people and told them where they were going wrong. And God shares that with us in Isaiah 58.1. Friends, when we measure modern-day prophets by these, are modern-day prophets, televangelists, actually pointing out sin today? Well, friends, I'll let you answer that question yourself, but I find it to be a very, very rare event. What other things will be true of a prophet of God? The fourth point is that they always warn of coming judgment in Isaiah 24, 20 and 21 and Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Point number five, they edify, meaning build up. They exhort, meaning to encourage. They comfort God's people in all religious matters in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3. Point number six is crucial. They must recognize the incarnation or deity of Jesus Christ because evil spirits do not like to admit that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and is the Son of God, the Messiah. So that's found in 1 John 4 and verses 1 to 3. The seventh test of a prophet is that they will work and live in harmony with Bible principles. That's found in Matthew 7, 15 to 20, where Jesus said, By their fruits ye shall know them. Friends, when we look at the lifestyle of so-called prophets today, what do we find? We find that they have multiple homes. Uh, they're incredibly wealthy. Some of them have private jets and helicopters, um, amazing cars. And um, friends, they don't seem to fit these tests of a prophet of all. Point number eight, true prophets of God will not be astrologers, magicians, witches, mediums, or clairvoyants. And we find that in Deuteronomy 18 and verses nine. 
to 12. Question 16. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 and 11, and verses 12 to 18, if you want to pause this and look those up now, you're most welcome. In these verses, Paul likens the gifts of the church to the parts of the body. What part of the body would best represent the prophets in terms that the spiritual gifts are likened to the body of Christ? They are the different parts of the body. Our answer comes from 1 Samuel 9, 9. Samuel wrote, Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet, Samuel says, was before time in ancient times and olden times. He was known as a seer. So when we apply the word seer to what part of the body would best represent prophets, we absolutely come to the eyes. For they must not only see clearly into the past and the present, but also into the future to warn God's people. Since a prophet is often called a seer because he can see into the future, prophecy would best be represented by the eyes. Well, that takes us to question 17. In what condition then would a church be which did not have the gift of prophecy? We're going to read Matthew chapter 15 and verse 14, and these are actually the words of Jesus. Jesus said, let them alone. He's speaking here about the scribes and Pharisees, the ones who opposed him in Israel, the Jewish leaders, let them alone. He said, they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Friends, in what condition then would a church be? It did not have the gift of prophecy. Friends, that church would be very, very dangerously flying blind. We're at the top of page six. That takes us to our heading number five. We're asking can miracles be a test? Let's go to question 18. They certainly are. Do miracles prove that a prophet is true? Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5, Revelation 16 and verse 14. Let's go to the words of Moses. This is about testing the prophets. Verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. So, friends, this is incredible. Moses is warning the people about a false prophet who will say, Let's go after other gods, but will actually show signs and wonders that are false signs, false wonders, or false or counterfeit miracles. So he's warning them against being deceived. Verse 3, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you. He's testing you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. Thou shalt keep the Lord's commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave or stick unto him. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 13. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from your God. Friends, this is how serious it is to mislead people and claim to be a prophet. The prophet had to be killed. 
speaking about the Lord God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. That's what the prophet's trying to do. Lead them away from the Lord God. So shalt thou, Israel, put the evil away from the midst of thee. Notice what God calls false prophecy. He calls it evil. One letter off the word devil which actually is a great segue into Revelation 16 and verse 14. John the Revelator warns us about spiritualism, spiritism, conjuring up spirits in the last days, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles. So they use counterfeit signs and wonders to convince people that what they are seeing and hearing is the absolute truth. We're asking the question and answering the question, do miracles prove that a prophet is true? The answer is no, because the devils, the devil himself and devils and demons can also work miracles. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Friends, miracles only prove one thing, supernatural power. But such power comes from both Satan and God. Think about it. The magicians of Egypt turned their walking sticks into serpents and water to blood. But they were false prophets who were empowered by Satan. Read more in Exodus 7, 10 to 12 and 19 to 22. Friends, the teachings of a prophet must be tested by scripture. This is our only safety, our only reliable test. Conduct may appear to be very spiritual, of course, but this proves nothing in itself. See 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, where Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Unless a prophet's teachings absolutely agree and square up with the scripture, they are an imposter and God's word warns us very clearly. Question 19, God promises to speak to a prophet in one of three ways. What are these three ways? We go to Numbers 12 and verse 6, and then we're going to look at verse 8. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. So this is what the Lord said to his servant, Moses. He said, I will speak to them in visions and dreams. Verse 8, with him will I also speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark or confusing speeches that can't be understood. And the similitude, meaning the form, the apparition, the presence of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant. God was always trying to protect his prophets from uh, discouragement and from uh, being hurt or harmed by the people. And of course, some were even killed. God promises to speak to a prophet in one of three ways. What are the three ways? I think it's very clear. He would speak to them through visions. He would speak to them through dreams. And some he chose to speak to face to face, mouth to mouth like Moses. So friends, crystal balls, palm reading, tea leaf deciphering, stargazing and talking with the dead are not God's methods of communicating with a prophet. God sometimes spoke to prophets through visions, 
Notice how the Bible describes a prophet in vision. And I want to tell you that if you go to Daniel chapter 10, most of these tests of a prophet come from there. This tells us what happens to a prophet when they go into vision. So Daniel actually lost physical strength, and he recorded this in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 8. So after losing physical and human strength, he's then given godly supernatural strength in verses 18 and 19. The third characteristic of a prophet in vision is there was no breath in his body, Daniel 10, 17. And if you are to hold a mirror up to these people, they would not be breathing. There would be no breath, no condensation on the mirror. Fourthly, the prophet needs to be able to speak to be able to give the message. And fifthly, he would not be conscious of his surroundings, Daniel 10, verses 5 to 8. Finally. The sixth test of a prophet, his eyes would remain open. And we find that in Numbers 24 and verse 4. Let's go to question 20. What happens to a person who believes and obeys true prophets? This is a great text and it's very encouraging. Second Chronicles 2020. There's a great story behind this, but we won't have time to go into it in this session. Read Second Chronicles 2020 yourself. It's fantastic. The prophet said, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall what? You shall prosper. Friends, there couldn't be better news than that. What happens to a person who believes and obeys the true prophets? Believe his prophets and so shall ye prosper. Friends, today people are actually speaking against false prophets, but they are also speaking against true prophets. God is sending prophets in these last days. Friends, there's no chance for a person to prosper spiritually if he refuses to believe a true prophet. What did John the Revelator say in Revelation 1 and verse 3? Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John's telling us that we must read, hear, and keep the things in the prophecies of scripture. We're at the top of page seven in our sixth heading. We're looking now at prophets in ministry in our last section. We're asking, are prophets called primarily to serve the church or are they called primarily to serve unbelievers? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 22. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, meaning unbelievers, but for them which believe. So friends, this is the gift of preaching. It is to, it is to edify and build up believers. Prophecy serveth for them which believe is our answer. Friends, it's for edifying the church. It's not given for unbelievers. Question 22, what is prophecy actually called in Revelation 12 and verse 17? This is one of our quiz questions. You might like to note it. This is what we're studying in our next session. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who are these offspring of this beautiful woman in Revelation 12? These people would keep the commandments of God, and they would have the testimony of Jesus. Christ. 
the testimony of Jesus Christ. So prophecy is also called here in Revelation 12, 7, 8. It's called the testimony or the witness about Jesus Christ, and it's actually given by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role and work here on earth after Jesus left was to witness and testify about the power of Jesus Christ to save people from sin. In light of Revelation 19, 10, the testimony of Jesus means the testimony or message from Jesus. Friends, when the Holy Spirit inspires a prophet with a message, we are to regard it as a message from Jesus. To undermine a true prophet is thus a very serious matter. It amounts to calling Jesus a liar. See Revelation 3.14 and Revelation 21 verse 5. Question 23, whom did Jesus say would have very great influence in the last days? He warned us about two groups of people, Matthew 24, 24. There shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, the very elect of those who are chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, true believers in the last days. So these are very powerful counterfeit miracles. Whom did Jesus say would have a very great influence in the last days? He said there'd be many false Christs and false prophets. Friends, they abound today on the internet, on the great um, video platforms, don't they? Making predictions, many of which fail. And in a recent election, we were told that a certain president would get back in to uh, office and that they'd been told this by God. And that was exactly false and many people were disappointed and turned away i'm sure from christianity based on false prophecy well the apostle peter also warns against the powerful but evil influence of false prophets especially in the last days see second peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. we're in question 24 at the bottom of page 7 what types of false prophets does the bible specifically condemn we're going, to Revel uh, we're going to Revelation 22, 15, and Revelation 21 and verse 8, but we must go first to Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 12. Here's a warning to God's Old Testament people to not get involved in seeking, summoning, or believing, or talking with spirits. Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 12. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Friends, the word abomination means a detestable, a horrible, a hateful thing, something you would recoil from. You are not to do after the abominations of those nations. What were they doing that God recoiled from? Verse 10, God says to Moses, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to what? To pass through the fire. Hmm. What does that actually mean? Well, some of you know, but some of you might not be sure. Friends, it's very, very clear in the Old Testament that child sacrifice was forbidden. This was something very popular among the surrounding nations, especially the Canaanites and down to Philistia. And in this uh, illustration, we see a leader of the Jewish people placing a baby in the arms of a God 
which had an open belly region where a fire was lit. You can see that there from behind. The poor little babies were then rolled down the arms and fell between the arms into the lighted oven there and were roasted alive. Is this what God's people would have been involved in? There are many references to it, but Jeremiah 32, 35 is one. Jeremiah warns the people on behalf of God that God's people were building the high places of Baal. Baal was in ancient times the storm god. It was a representation of Satan. He was supposedly the one who brought the rains and grew the crops. Therefore, the children of Israel were tempted to go down to the Canaanite temples where they would have sex with a male or female temple prostitute, therefore enacting the fertilization of each other through sexuality, therefore a symbol of Baal, blessing the land with rain and sunshine. Friends, I wonder if some of the babies born from those unions were used in those child sacrifice ceremonies. I guess it was an ancient form of abortion. And they built the high places of Baal or Baal, meaning Lord, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire under Moloch, which I commanded them not. It's interesting, the ancient prophets used to misspell the names of foreign gods to not give them honor and glory. And today you'll find the Ammonite, Ammonite god's name actually Moloch, M-O-L-O-C-H. And friends, it's absolutely incredible to believe that the abominations of the surrounding nations like the Ammonites and the Canaanites was being practiced by God's own people. Friends, today, in the United States of America, many Christian groups are railing against the authorities and saying that abortion on a industrial scale, scale today is nothing less than this ancient form of child sacrifice. I thought it was interesting that former US President Ronald Reagan once said that all those who are for abortion have already been born. I think that is a very wise observation. So friends, we are continuing on in Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 12. The people of God were warned not to sacrifice their children to Moloch and not to be involved with them that used divination, and we're going to explain these in a moment, or an observer of times, or those who are called enchanters or witches or charmers, or those who consult with familiar spirits, that's evil spirits that come up that they're used to, or a wizard or a necromancer. Verse 12 is unmistakable. It's from the Lord. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Friends, God hates this association with listening to evil spirits because, of course, they're controlled by Satan. So the note under question 24 now deciphers in the ancient words what those things translate to today. So a diviner equates to our fortune tellers today. An observer of times equates to an astrologer. See Isaiah 47, 13 and 14. An enchanter is what we call a magician. A witch or a wizard 
is a psychic. A consulter with familiar spirits is just a spirit medium. See Leviticus 19.31 and Leviticus 20, verse 6, 7 and 27. What's a necromancer? It's one who supposedly conjures up or consults with the so-called dead, which are evil spirits. Sorcerers are the modern counterpart of sorcery today is spiritism. Then there's charmers. They are ones who cast spells or use charms. Friends, a number of years ago, there was a television program called Charmed. It was about casting spells. And then there's been the Twilight series. There's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And there's also been the Harry Potter series. Friends, can we see, if we follow God's word, that there's been an assault on our children from the dark side? I certainly believe there has. We jump to Revelation 22 and verse 15, showing the results of those who follow these sinful paths. Where will they end up? This is a reference to the holy city, the new Jerusalem has come down from God out of heaven after the end of the thousand years. Who is actually outside the city? It says for without, meaning outside the city, are dogs. If you're not sure who they are, look it up, do some study. You'll find that that is a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. For without the city are dogs and sorcerers, there's our answer, and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whatsoever maketh and loveth a lie. Friends, we must be very careful not to tell lies. This is a sin. Some more description of those who be outside the city. Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and the unbelieving, let's be careful about doubt and unbelief, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Friends, are we clear what sorcery is? The study guide's very clear. Sorcery is, was, and will be a modern counterpart of spiritism or spiritualism, speaking with and engaging with the spirits. So the Lord God says very clearly that all who do the things above are to be an abomination. See Deuteronomy 18, 12, and on the day of salvation will be outside the city of God, not inside with the righteous and the redeemed and Jesus. Question 25 at the top of page 8. John the Baptist did not write a book of the Bible, did he? But he certainly was a true prophet. Whose counsel does the Bible say people rejected when they rejected John's counsel? We go to Luke 7, verses 28 to 30. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. I believe we looked up this text uh, previously, didn't we, in session 16 when we looked at Bible baptism. Whose counsel does the Bible say people rejected when they rejected John's counsel? They rejected all of the counsel of God. Friends, that is a serious thing. The counsel of a true prophet, John the Baptist, who was beheaded for his witness, 
to Jesus is always the counsel of God. To reject it, whether the prophet be a Bible writer or not, amounts to rejecting the Lord's counsel. Such rejection is fatal to a person unless he reconsiders. I now want to share with you some of the titles that are given to prophets in Scripture. Let's have a look at eight of these titles from various references. So here is the list. The list is, what are they called? Number one, they're called prophets in 1 Samuel 9, 9. They're called son of man in Ezekiel 4, 1 and 5, 1. They're called seers in 2 Chronicles 16, 7. They're called messengers in Malachi 3, 1. They're called fellow servants in Revelation 19, 10 and 22, 9. They're called servants of God in 1 Chronicles 6, 49. They're called man of God in 2 Kings 4, 21 and 4, 22. They're called watchmen on the walls of Zion in Ezekiel 3, 17. And in the case of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 3, he was called the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Friends, these different titles are actually descriptive of all the roles that were played by the prophets and give us extra information of their role, ministry, and mission. Our last question in the lesson in this session is number 26. Since God still speaks through prophets today, and since the word of a prophet is a personal testimony of Jesus to you, are you willing to test modern prophets by the Bible and obey those who agree with Scripture? Friends, are you willing to test them by the law and the testimony? Because if there's no uh, response, there's no agreement in those two areas, we know that there is no light in them. God bless you as you measure and test everything by God's word. Let's uh, end our session where we started. We asked the question at the start, and I hope that you know the answers. In what three main ways does God speak with his prophets? V and D and M. He speaks to them through, that's right, visions, dreams, and also mouth to mouth. Well, what two types of prophets are mentioned in scripture? I think we were very clear on that, weren't we? There were those who were the writers, there were those who were not writers, and there were those who also were writers and didn't have a book included in the Bible. So canonical means that they were included in the record of Scripture. Non-canonical, they're not actually in the Bible. Name the main Old Testament test of a prophet. We've talked about that a number of times, Isaiah 8.20. To be truth, it must agree with God's law, the Ten Commandments, and all the body of law in Scripture, and also the testimony, the witness, the writings of all the prophets. So what is the main purpose of the gift of prophecy? Friends, the main reason prophecy was given to strengthen and build up the church after Jesus would leave, and that would be done through the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. What is another name for prophecy in Revelation 12, 17? It's also called the testimony of Jesus, and we will go through that a little bit more in our next session. Thank you so much for those doing the quiz. In our two response questions tonight, if you believe that the Bible teaches that God will use prophets to help the church in the last days, I'd like you to say yes or tick box number one. Number two, if you're ready to say that God's true church will have the gift of prophecy in these last days, please say yes or tick box number two. Well, in our quiz tonight, we're continuing on with fill in the missing blank. And question one, we'll have two answers. One will be half a mark and the other will be half a mark to keep the score 
out of five. These are very simple. They're not hard. So don't second guess yourself. Question one, to whom does God reveal his plans for the future? To the TPs. Who are those? The TPs. Friends, I want you to write your answer down now. I'm going to give you the answer directly, so lock it in. To whom does God reveal his plans for the future? Amos 3.7, that he reveals his secrets unto his servants who? That's right, the prophets. Number two, no tricks. An easy answer again. God promises to speak through the peas in the last days. Who are they? Lock it in. The answer is, of course, through his last day prophets. Absolutely. We're now asking you the name of one of the prophets, the one who wrote the book of Revelation. This is just too easy, isn't it? And it starts with J. So the answer is that that was John, not John the Baptist, but John the Revelator, John the one who wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to question four. Prophets are one of the something, a five-letter word beginning with G, one of the somethings given to God's last day church. In fact, it's one of the spiritual somethings beginning with G. Five letters, prophets are one of the lock it in. Prophets are one of the spiritual gifts given to God's last day church. And question five, just a very tiny word. Revelation teaches that God's true church for the last something, starting with D, uh, four letters, inclusive of D, will have the gift of prophecy. Lock it in. So Revelation teaches that God's last, sorry, God's true last day church for the last days will have the gift of prophecy. Give yourself a score out of five. And thank you for doing the quiz. It's always a bit of fun to see how much you can remember from the session. So in this session, number 17, we learned about modern prophets and visions. We also learned that prophets will speak for God. We're going to go to session 18, and we're on a search for the true church. In two sessions time, we'll be looking at the mark of the beast in number 19. Do not miss that study. And then we're following it with a trip to hell. We're looking at what and where is hell so friends in session 18 we're looking next time in god's church in revelation we're going to look at this amazing beautiful woman who is clothed with the sun stands on the moon and has uh, a, a crown of 12 stars on her head what does all that actually mean so we will learn the following who is the woman standing on the moon in revelation 12 let me encourage you to read all of chapter 12 before you do the lesson number two Who's actually the dragon who attacks? We don't need to guess the answers in Revelation 12 and verse 9. We're also told who is the man-child who is born of the woman. That's not explicit, and maybe many people won't know what that is. Number four, who are what are the remnant? What's a remnant of the seed of the woman? And number five, what are the two main characteristics of God's last day remnant church? Let's close with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the preciousness of your word, how relevant it is to today as we see so much false prophecy being given. We want to stay and measure everything by the law and the testimony. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us today that we need to be faithful and true and believe your prophets, so shall we prosper. So thank you for this amazing Bible study. Continue to bless us all with wisdom and understanding as we continue to open your word, to study and pray and grow spiritually, I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So friends, it's been my pleasure to present to you 
uh, session 17. And I do want to just thank you for being with us. And of course, um, look forward to seeing you next time for session number 18. Thank you and goodbye for now. You've been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Revelation with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA, all one word, that's True Blue SDA. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.